This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Food. Bob? And uh, I write a blog called Law Sites, another blog called Media Law, and also the legal blog watch for law.com. Uh, well, Craig, this week uh, the U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments in the case of Wyeth versus Levine, which some people are calling the business case of the century. The case centers around Diana Levine, a Vermont musician who lost her arm to gangrene. In 2000, Levine went to a clinic seeking relief for her migraine. She was injected with the Wyeth drug Phenergan by means of an intravenous method that was uh, perhaps discouraged but not forbidden by the labeling on the drug. Uh, and that labeling, of course, had been approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Well, apparently the drug went into her artery rather than a vein, and the result was gangrene and ultimately the amputation of her right forearm due to the gangrene, crippling her music career. She said that, I only have one index finger left, but I have no qualms about pointing it at wife. Vermont jury awarded her $6.7 million in damages from wife, accepting her argument that the drug maker should have put stronger warnings on the label. And, of course, wife has appealed the $6.7 million verdict. So at issue at the Supreme Court uh, is whether federal law on drug labeling should preempt the jury's verdict against Wyeth uh, and, uh, and whether the court should uphold the Bush, Bush administration's policy that, continue, that shields companies uh, uh, if the FDA has approved warning labels. Well, in the what I think is Wyeth, and I guess we'll have to get it from our, our listeners today, um, Wyethler's versus Levine will decide whether the plaintiffs have a right to sue pharmaceutical companies for their injuries or death from medication approved by federal regulators. Uh, that's right. So today we'll uh, have a couple of guests on to discuss the, the case, uh, figure out how to pronounce it, uh, discuss the power of the FDA, federal preemption, and the upcoming what the upcoming ruling may mean for the future of the pharmaceutical industry. Well, Bob, our first guest today is going to be Michael A. Ferrara, Jr. He's a certified civil trial attorney from the Ferrara Law Firm. Mr. Ferrara is a past president of the AAJ, New Jersey, formerly known as the ATLA, and is a frequent lecturer at the ATLA, AAJ, conventions. The Ferrara Law Firm was co-counsel in a case brought by Governor Whitman against the tobacco industry for reimbursement of Medicaid expenditures caused by smoking-related illnesses suit sought to recover billions of dollars that the state and its taxpayers paid through the Medicaid program for health care costs attributable to smoking-related illnesses. Mike Ferrara also hosts Legal Perspectives on WPHT 1210 AM in, in uh, Philadelphia, and he covers numerous legal subjects. Welcome to the show, Mike Ferrara. Hi, Craig and Bob. Uh, happy to be here. And joining us next today is attorney James Beck, uh, who is counsel resident in the Philadelphia office of the law firm Deckert, LLP. He's the author of, among other things, Drug and Medical Device Product Liability Handbook uh, with Anthony Vale, published in 2004. Uh, attorney Beck is primarily engaged in the defense and appellate 
in defense and appellate practice involving complex personal injury and product liability matters and insurance-related litigation. Uh, Mr. Beck has overseen the development of legal defenses, maintenance of master briefs, and the prosecution of summary judgment motions in mass tort litigation uh, involving uh, a number of uh, products, including diet drugs, Baycol, and orthopedic bone screws. Uh, In the orthopedic bone screw litigation, uh, the result was successful summary judgments in more than 170 cases, all of which uh, were successfully defended on appeal. He also uh, is co-author of the popular blog, blog, Drug and Device Law. Uh, So welcome to the show, Jim Beck. Good afternoon, Craig, Bob, and you too, Mike. How are you doing, Jim? Well, let's get to the first topic. How do you pronounce the name of this drug company? I just pronounce it Wyeth. Well, what about this push uh, injection? The, the FDA apparently has approved labeling for fenugrin that warned against it, but it didn't prohibit the uh, administering the drug in this fashion. What What is what's the issue that the Supreme Court is dealing with here beyond the issue of preemption? Well, I think that the issue the Supreme Court has before it it's not really a warning case in the classic sense because there were warnings about uh, this particular use and this particular risk uh, in several places on the labeling. It's more of a failure to contraindicate case, which makes this a little bit unusual in the preemption spectrum. I think uh, maybe the listeners, Bob and Craig, may want to know what preemption is in the first place before we get into the specifics. And... Um, yeah, we can talk about that. I mean, we do have most of our our, our listeners are, are are lawyers, but that doesn't necessarily oh, okay. mean they understand it. Uh, <laughs> they they certainly should have some sense of what we're talking about here. But you know, per, you know, perhaps you could give us the the kind of the big picture of of what you see as this case is involving in that sense. Yeah, well, once the once you understand that uh, that preemption, what preemption is 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 a rule of law that if the federal government through Congress has enacted legislation on a subject matter, it shall be controlling over state laws and or preclude the state from enacting laws on the same subject if Congress has specifically declared that it has occupied the field. So so the question is, should YF in this case, or any drug company, Merck, Shearing Plow, or whatever, should they have complete immunity or not. So if the FDA approves a drug, what the drug companies want to accomplish is they want to have complete immunity and say, okay, the FDA approved it, and therefore the consumers in all 50 states cannot sue in their own state courts, which is an interesting dichotomy because conservatives are generally states' rights people. And here they don't want the states to make the decision. They want the federal government through the FDA to make the decision. Now, that was while Bush was president and the FDA was controlled by the president. Now, as of Tuesday, where you have a different president and maybe a different FDA makeup, you know, maybe they don't want that anymore. So it's really an interesting timing uh, that uh, how this is all shaking out. Well, where does where does this case fit in? I mean, we saw the the Supreme Court last year decided uh, the Regal versus Medtronic case, which had to do with uh, preemption uh, of medical devices, uh, litigation concerning medical devices. There was argument uh, earlier this term already on the uh, tobacco case uh, out of out of Maine. 
Uh, how is this case uh, dis- distinct from those? Do well, this have- is an implied preemption case. Those other two cases were expressed, and that makes a difference because the express preemption, you look at what Congress said. Uh, implied preemption is just what it, what the term means. It, it's something that you, you have to look at the circumstances. And in this particular circumstance, there's whether there is any conflict between what the FDA, in fact, authorized or approved and what the uh, the plaintiff in the, in the particular situation is alleging. And in this case, the FDA did approve the drug for this particular indication, this IV push, and the plaintiffs uh, are saying, and they said quite uh, openly in their closing argument uh, in the trial court, that the FDA made a mistake and should never have approved the drug for this particular use. So you have a situation. This is not a case where there's any any question of immunity. This is simply a case where the the U.S. government, in terms of the FDA, said yes to this use, and the plaintiff got a, uh, a state court jury in Vermont to say no. This isn't a, an immunity case. I mean, if they, the label hadn't said anything about uh, uh, the risk of gangrene in the situation, uh, there wouldn't even be a preemption defense available. Uh, this is a situation where the government said yes, and the state court said no, and the supremacy clause pretty much controls on what that is. And should that be the end of it, or is, I mean, what's what's the other side of that argument? What 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 gives the states the right to litig- to uh, rule in this area? Yeah, Jim is right that uh, this is an implied preemption case, and 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 you should know that in 2007, uh, Congress had the issue before it as to whether or not you ought to have a law saying that if the FDA uh, okayed something, then it was an immunity. And that law didn't pass in Congress. So what's ha- what they're trying to do now is get the Supreme Court to do what they weren't able to do in 2007. But I think uh, the the issue about whether or not the label, it, it's, it's really about, it's, it's really simple. Uh, the label should have barred the use of the PIV push, and it didn't. All right. And, and, and there have been 20 amputations so far. So the question is, how many do you need uh, before the label should be changed? And, and is, the FDA, is the FDA really qualified to be the final arbiter of, of, of things? I mean, the FDA's made mistakes. You know, uh, you know they're, they're, they're overworked or underpaid. They're trying to do a good job. But, uh, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, they, they, look, the FDA approved Vioxx. You know, I mean, Jim's firm and my firm were involved in that case. And, and 55,000 people uh, had heart attacks and strokes, and, and, and Merck is paying them to their credit. They're paying them $5 billion. If, if this had been the law, those 55,000 people would not have a lawsuit because the FDA approved it. And that's why the New England Journal of Medicine, the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, 47 attorney generals of 47 of the 50 states have all come out against this. This is not a a liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat issue. This is a fairness issue, and 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 members of you ought to know that members of the FDA, senior staff people were against coming in on this case, and the Bush administration made them do it. Well, guess what? The Bush administration has made a lot of errors, and this is another error that they made. Unfortunately, because of the makeup of this court, uh, they may win this case, and then what's going to happen? is the new president and the new Congress is going to reverse it. So, you know, it, it may be just a pyrrhic victory for now. 
But hopefully the Supreme Court's going to get it right and, and see that uh, it just isn't what ought to be done. You can't give complete immunity to these drug manufacturers. And every study has shown that the public doesn't want to rely on the government to establish the standards. Look, drug companies, Merck, Merck, Merck made misrepresentations to the FDA. I mean, um, how can you rely on the FDA and say, if the FDA approves a drug or approves a label, that, uh, that then you can't sue in your state court? It just doesn't make sense. What kind of evidence gets introduced in the trial court and argument get made about the closeness between the drug industry and the FDA? I mean, there have been a lot of allegations flying around outside the courtroom. What gets said inside the courtroom? That has nothing to do with the Wyeth versus Levine case. This drug has been around for 50 years. There's no allegation whatever in Wyeth versus Levine that there was anything withheld from the FDA, that the FDA had done anything other than look at this particular risk several times over the course of the drug's history, and in all situations, determined that there was a medical reason for making this particular mode of administration available to the public and available to the doctors to use if they determine it to be proper. This is not a case of immunity. We hear this stuff about immunity all the time, but if you you listen to the oral argument or read the oral argument transcript, as I have, you see neither side was asking for a broad immunity. The defense side stated specifically that it was not there would not be preemption in context where the FDA was not given all the information necessary to evaluate the drug. The plaintiff side admitted that there would be preemption if the FDA had, regular, had, had made a risk-benefit analysis and then shortly thereafter, with no different information, uh, the, loss, the lawsuit arose. So this is not going to be a sweeping immunity case or a sweeping uh, rejection of preemption on either side. Because that's not just the facts of this case. This isn't a Vioxx case. This isn't a, a uh, Regula case. This is simply a case where the government said this use is permissible with all these warnings, and there were very muscular warnings, and then the, and the plaintiff is trying to have a state law say that you can be liable simply because you approved the use. And that's, that's a direct conflict. Jim, the prediction that you and, and Mark made on your drug and device law blog is that the uh, implied preemption argument will prevail. Is that right? I believe that the implied preemption argument will prevail. Indeed, the plaintiffs three times in the oral argument admitted that there is implied preemption if you have a direct conflict. And it's simply a matter of whether the court is going to take a look at the evidence and decide whether there is a direct conflict with the verdict in this case. And I think that the, the facts of this case are such that in this particular instance, they will find that there was, is a direct conflict because you can't have the federal government saying yes and the state government and the state jury saying no. Uh, you know, if it was only that easy. Uh, Bob or Craig asked the question about the revolving door at the FDA, and I think, uh, you know, we can't really limit this case to these facts, as, as Jim wants to do. It, when this case comes down, it's going to apply to every drug company. It's going to f- apply to all 50 cases. And what I'd like to hear from Jim is, why did 47 attorney generals come in on our side of this case? I don't understand what, you know, there, there's some conservative states out there where their attorney generals came in against the Bush administration. And I'm just curious as to your take, Jim, on why they did that. I am not going to get into the head of 47 different elected officials. Now, the attorneys generals are state elected officials. 
Preemption is a federal doctrine that restricts states' rights. So I believe that that's probably the gut reason there. There are also the kind of fears that have been stoked that this is some this would result in some sort of elimination of prescription drug product liability entirely, which is just not going to be the just not going to be the case in this case. Now, what you will get in this case is probably a finding that there is preemption on the fa- on the facts before the Supreme Court. Now, that's not a case where you have uh, 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 allegations that anything was ever withheld from the FDA. And so I don't. I think we'll be left to determine the breadth of preemption. I mean, you'll end up with a lot more uh, litigation about preemption, and I suppose they don't. Uh, they don't particularly like that. But it's going to be uh, if if there's a ruling, I think it's going to be very narrow and fact specific. And then we'll spend the next ten years trying to figure out what it means. But you will get uh, the the basic. Uh, principle that, yes, implied preemption does apply in the prescription drug product liability field. And that, that is a powerful principle, and that's why the case is important. One of the other standard defenses that we see in some drug cases is a learned intermediary defense. You know, the doctor had enough knowledge to be able to avoid this injury. Does that play a part in this case? Oh, sure. You know, in the Vioxx cases, very few cases of the 55,000 were there any claims for medical malpractice, you know. Uh, you know, because the doctor, you know, in fact, the doctor said, hey, if we had known there was a stroke or, or a, uh, if we had known that Merck lied to the FDA and lied to the New England Journal and falsified data, you know, we, we wouldn't have prescribed this drug. So very few lawyers, if any, filed a medical malpractice case. Now, in this case, there was a medical malpractice case, and for good reason. I mean, the, the nurse put the uh, the thing into the artery instead of the vein, and that was, you know, that's medical malpractice. That case was settled out of court. But the, uh, you know, you, you, to just go back a minute, you know, you guys asked about the FDA and the revolving door. Your listeners, who, who you tell me are lawyers and law students and bright people, I would like them to go and do their own research on how many FDA commissioners and how many FDA senior staff come from the drug industry, go to the FDA for a while, and then go back to the drug industry. It's, it's, it's a revolving door, and that is not a check and balance that the American consumers want or need. That is all. That's that may be. That may or may not be true as respect to where the expertise uh, that the FDA needs comes from and where to go after the administration changes. But that's an issue for Congress to decide. Uh, that is not something that uh, we get state law uh, and state juries uh, overriding FDA decisions because of the nature of the the FDA's practice. Uh, that is something for Congress to fix. Congress but is, they tried to do it last year, Jim, right? And 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 the drug companies lost. Congress, Congress, Congress did, did a lot not of things give last the year. drug companies what they wanted last year. And there was a a, a, a provision in the bill at one point uh, to bar preemption, and Congress took it out. And when, why did they do that? That was the intent of Congress. The intent of Congress was Cong- to, was, was the exactly intent of Congress that. Was that that I mean, was uh, was to delete the anti preemption provision. You know, uh, interesting, fellas, uh, uh, that. Just ironically, you know, today we're doing our show on uh, on November seventh. Today's New York Times, today's Baltimore Sun, and today's Boston Globe. The, those three papers today, just ironically, strong editorials on why uh, on why Wyeth has to lose this case, and setting forth really cogent reasons. So I urge your listeners to look at those three editorials today. 
they say it a lot better than I can say. It. Well, the Supreme Court has been has been wrestling with this issue, as I noted earlier, and uh, has ruled on it, and has other cases dealing with it. And and clearly, uh, from the arguments in this case, uh, reasonable minds uh, can can have different opinions on on where to come down on the boundaries of preemption. How much? Uh, how much is this a political issue in the sense that uh, as the composition of the court changes, uh, if it changes with, with a new president, uh, this issue is likely to go off in another direction? Oh, I mean, you mentioned the, you mentioned the Medtronic case earlier, you know, the uh, February 08 uh, Regal versus Medtronic. Uh, that, that disregarded 30 years of uh, experience under the 1976 medical device amendment. Uh, this is as political an issue as you can possibly have. You have, and look, it's the way it ought to be. If the people elect a president and the president then gets to appoint Supreme Court justices, you know, they elected President Bush twice and he appointed justices, you know, the people get what they, you know, what, they're, what they deserve, I guess. And now that the people elected this different person, you know these three Supreme Court openings that are going to be filled by this president are going to be people that the drug companies don't really care for. I mean, that's a fact of life, and it goes back 220 years. So, so you know, this pendulum is going to go back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, and I think I would be remiss if I didn't say that, you know, we paint a broad brush sometimes and we shouldn't. Drug companies really, really do good stuff. I mean, the drugs that they come up with save lives and uh, they actually saved my life when I uh, years ago. So I mean, you know, I, it it really is a, a wonderful thing. It's just, you know, sometimes they put marketing ahead of science, and when they do that, and they can get concerned about how well a drug can sell and how much you can push it off off label and all of that stuff, that's where they get into trouble. If they go back to their roots of doing good science and uh, and good research and coming out with good drugs, we're not going to have these problems. Jim, were you trying to say something on that? I, I wasn't yeah, sure I was trying I, to yeah. say, uh, this is not particularly political uh, in that sense, because the Regal case, it was an eight-to-one decision. Uh, Democratic uh, appointed justices such as Justice Breyer were in favor of preemption, as were Republican-appointed justices. Uh, I think that in the next uh, administration, there will be several Supreme Court replacements. Uh, Justice Stevens is something like 88 or 89 years old. He will probably retire soon. He was appointed by a Republican, but he has generally taken positions against preemption. Uh, and he will, and so there will be a replacement, but I don't think it will change the ideological aspects of the court if you assume that all of President Obama's uh, appointments would tend to be against preemption. Uh, Justice Ginsburg has been ill. She's probably the the most uh, against preemption of any member of the court. So again, you'll have a, you'll have an appointment, but I don't think it'll change the makeup of the court on this issue. Uh, beyond that, uh, it will it will depend. There are I would say four justices that are favorably inclined towards preemption, and uh, another another one or two who uh, switch on either side, and it's going to depend on, on those justices, basically. Uh, but I don't think you can go and make this into a, uh, a hugely Democratic-Republican issue because Justice Breyer has been one of the more pro-preemption justices, and he's Democrat, and uh, Justice Stevens is one of the more anti-preemption, and, he's been, he was a, and he was appointed by a Republican. 
So it's really, I think, a matter of, of how the Supreme Court views the law in the context of uh, the facts of individual cases. And I think the facts of the Levine case are very supportive of preemption, given the nature of the plaintiff's claim, which is what we're talking about today, and that I think there will be a narrow decision based on the facts of the case that will find preemption, but will not even grant any kind of immunity or result in the end of prescription drug litigation. That's just something that's put out there for political purposes to try to rile up Congress. And while that might work with an express preemption case, it's much more difficult in an implied preemption case because you have to abolish the conflict itself, which means you would have to turn uh, the uh, regulation of drug, uh, drug labeling over to the states in order to eliminate that conflict. We need to take a short break right now. We'll be back in just a moment with more discussion about Wyeth versus Levine. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. Visit westlegalworks.com to register for the 12th Annual Electronic Discovery and Records Retention Conference being held December 10th and 11th in San Francisco. For more information, visit westlegalworks.com. You've just passed the bar and you're ready for your first day at the firm. If you always wear a blue suit, white shirt, and red tie, nobody will know you haven't been home in three days. You are ready to tackle the important legal questions. I don't worry about the merits of a case. I'm paid solo to find obscure procedural roadblocks. You are ready to find self-worth in your profession. The value of my existence is measured in six-minute increments. And the Perfect Associate has the answers to all your career questions. Available at PerfectPlush.com. PerfectPlush.com, your source for legal humor. That's PerfectPlush.com. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. Okay, welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi uh, and my co-host J. Craig Williams and I are talking about the Wyeth versus Levine, the uh, case argued before the Supreme Court earlier this week with our guest Michael A. Ferrara Jr. from the Ferrara Law Firm in New Jersey, and Jim Beck, uh, counsel resident in the Philadelphia office of Deckert and uh, blogger for uh, the blog, Drug and Device Law. Hey, Mike, you mentioned something in the beginning that we should probably discuss a little bit further about the risk-benefit analysis. Now, this, this drug's been around for 50 years. There have been a number of amputations, as you mentioned, but no drug is actually perfect, and no drug can prevent all risks. Uh, there's no wonder drug out there that's not going to injure some people. At what point in time does the FDA have to weigh the benefits that the drug provides versus the risks that it creates? Where does yeah, that good, line get drawn? Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, what, what, what is needed is uh, once a drug is approved and marketed, I think the FDA has to do a better job collecting post-approval uh, data. You know, 
uh, real-life data five, 10, 20 years out to see what's happening. And then they'll be in, in a position to say, you know what, we approved this, but we made a mistake. What obligation, Jim, does the uh, does Wyeth have to provide that data when it becomes aware of this? I mean, that's one of the questions that I think it was Alito that asked, um, or maybe it was Justice Bader who's, who said that, you know, this has caused a lot of problems, and doesn't the F, doesn't the Wyeth have an obligation to let uh, the FDA know that this problem is arising? Absolutely, and there's and that's one of the things about Wyeth v. Levine that makes it a, a good case for preemption. The the Wyeth did that. Every one of these uh, gangrene incidents was reported in proper fashion to the FDA within the. I think it's like two weeks they had to report serious injuries uh, to the, once they find out about them to the FDA, and that was all done here. There's no, there's no allegation in this case that the FDA wasn't fully aware of this risk and that the FDA made a decision that there were benefits from this particular way of uh, administering the drug in terms of getting uh, more drug into more seriously, seriously ill people uh, faster. Uh, and they decided that those benefits were uh, the risks. The risks were not outweighed by the benefits, and that therefore the the, the uh, administration should stay on the market. And that's what they did. And the jury said the jury wants to say otherwise, and that becomes a direct conflict. Yeah, but Jim, this wasn't this wasn't a cancer drug. You know, that this was, uh, you know, Diane was using it for migraines. I mean, it, it you know it wasn't the end of the world for her. I mean. If she had to trade off a couple migraines for the for the the, the loss of a you know I mean migraines are one thing you know but Vioxx was for pain I mean it, it's not it's not it's not that well important. Mr. Humiston was in such pain the label could have the, all the label had to say is don't use it for IV push and the label didn't say that and they should have said that because they knew about the problems. But the FDA made a risk-benefit analysis, and you know if the FDA wants to make a different risk-benefit analysis, it can. But a state cannot tell the federal government what to do in that way. That's what the pre- that's what the supremacy clause is all about, and that's why there'll be preemption in Wyeth versus Levine, but maybe not in other cases. Well, you know what? Because we're both from Philly, and we and Independence Hall is there, where the Constitution and Declaration and of independence, and you know that was the big debate they had: the states' rights people and the federalist people, and uh, and and quite we frankly, a civil they, war you know, it. it it really ought to be, you know, that uh, you know the federal government has its place, but I think most people don't trust the federal government to do things right, and 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 it's really a states' rights issue, and these fifty states ought to have a right to do it their own way. But look, we could agree to disagree. You mentioned the Supreme Court people. You know, Earl Warren is the classic example, right? Where he was appointed by a Republican president, and he said it was the worst mistake he ever made. Does it all hinge on the fact that the FDA did, in fact, consider uh, the risk administer- uh, of the IV push? I mean, had it not, would this case be entirely different? Yes, I think uh, that that is clear from the oral argument. It was, it was just I agree with that. The, I agree with The fact you. that the FDA specifically considered the risk and specifically tinkered with the warnings for years uh, is was a very important reason in why... There's the, the, the arguments were in favor of preemption in this case, and that is because we're not dealing here with just an, an overall 
warning where uh, approval where the FDA may or may not have had all of the relevant information. If that had been the case, I think this would be a very different type. Of and so the flip side of that then is that 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 opens the door to a whole range of cases that possibly would not be preempted, even if they find preemption in this case. That's what I said on my blog. I think it will be a narrow ruling. This is not going to be granting immunity to anyone. But what it would do is it would give uh, it would give other industries. You know, it's not just drug companies that want preemption. You know, they want preemption in all kinds of products liability in in, in trucks and cars and and, and across the board. And uh, you know, so some other day we can talk about preemption in other fields. But you know, your listeners ought to know that the Jim mentioned it. The entire transcript from Monday's argument is available online. It's really fascinating. It's fifty eight pages long, and it's easy reading. Uh, so your listeners can uh, can find out how the uh, how the lawyers did and, and what the justices' questions were. If the Supreme Court approves preemption in this case on the narrow basis that Jim is talking about, what remedy does that leave Diane Levine with? Does it mean she can go to federal court and sue? It, well, that will depend on what the uh, the Supreme Court says. Uh, I think that the particular verdict would fail given the arguments that were made to support it. Whether it will that will revert, result in uh, her being put out of court, or whether it would result in a, a new trial with limitations on the kind of arguments she can make, I just don't know at this point. Our time is up here, uh, just about, and we would like to give each of you an opportunity to, to just kind of give us your closing thoughts uh, on the case, and also to tell our listeners uh, how they can find out more about you, or uh, uh, where they can find more of uh, your writing on this topic. So, Jim, let's start with you. Well. Uh, I think Wyeth versus Levine is very good facts for a preemption uh, decision, but that it will, because it is very good facts, it will be limited to those facts, and the Supreme Court will probably not venture beyond them. If you want to read more about Wyeth versus Levine and uh, get a copy of the transcript of the oral argument and to see what the analysis is that we have to say, uh, go to uh, Drug and Device Law. Uh, at blogger.com and look for the post that we posted on uh, November the 6th called Our Own Analysis of the Wyeth versus Levine Oral Argument. And then you'll see what we have to say on this side. Right, it's drugandevicelaw.blogspot.com is, is the link I have for it. Is it? Yep. Yeah. Um, and Michael, how about your final thoughts? Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, first of all, it's been great being with you guys, and thanks for the opportunity. And just so the listeners know, when they read Jim's blog, they have to understand that that's the drug company's position, Okay. The position of the 47 attorney generals, the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, the AMA, that position you can find at uh, justice.org, www.justice.org, which is the official website of AAJ, and they have links to uh, why preemption is a bad thing, why it, why it allows for complete immunity for corporations, why we want negligent corporations to be held accountable. Uh, why the 55,000 Vioxx people would not have had a case if this was the law. So, uh, you know, there's a reason why, uh, why, the, why people think that the government, the FDA, shouldn't be left uh, to do this stuff, and, and they're not going to get it right, and uh, we can't have preemption in this type of thing. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll wait to see, and the ruling will come out in the fall, I guess, and uh, uh, hopefully... Uh, hopefully uh, no, it won't be that long. Hopefully, it'll be, it'll be Diane will win this case. But, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not very optimistic uh, with the makeup of this court. 
And Michael, uh, where, where's the best way for our listeners to find out more about you? Uh, well, I have a, I guess my website, ferrarlawfirm.com, uh, F-E-R-R-A-R-A, ferrarlawfirm.com. Great. Well, gentlemen, that about does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Uh, for our listeners, remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at thelegaltalknetwork.com. And I'd like to uh, thank both of our guests for joining us today and also a reminder to our listeners that we are also in the uh, podcast library on iTunes. Uh, good program, very interesting topics. And, Craig, I look forward to talking to you again next week. Look forward to it as well. We'll be back again to discuss another great current legal topic. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.